Good morning, family. How you guys doing? Good? All right. Good. Open your Bibles in. Psalm 63. That's where we're going to be. Psalm 63 this morning. We're continuing our soundtrack series. And uh, we're going to read the whole thing to give us some context, and then we'll pray. All right. Psalm 63. You guys there yet? Oh, God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. You are worthy of all praises. Hosanna. God, we come to praise you today because you are a good God and you do good things. Namely, you save us. And God, I pray right now that you would speak right into the core of our being, Lord, each and every one of us, that you, God, you would speak to us today. Speak to our soul. And Lord, let us hear you. Help us open up our minds to think and to hear from you, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would give me boldness today to say what you want me to say and clarity And, Lord, that this would be helpful for each and every one of us. Change us as a church. Change us as families and individuals into people that praise you, that glorify your name. You're a wonderful, spectacular God, and there is no one like you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jim Carrey, and the actor, the former comic, he was broke and struggling uh, in the early 90s, early on in his uh, career. He said that he would sit on Mulholland Drive and he would visualize himself being rich 
and famous and successful. He just sit in his car at night and just look out. One day, he said, he wrote himself a check for $10 million. You've probably heard this story. He dated it Thanksgiving Day, 1995. And he visualized that that would happen to him. Three years later, in 1995, he got the lead role in the movie Dumb and Dumber for $10 million. And everybody knew his name after that. But here's what Jim said at a commencement speech of college graduates on May 24th, 2014. I want you to listen to this. This is very interesting. He says, and I am quoting, I wish people could realize their dreams of wealth and fame so that they could see it is not where you find your completion. Now that is a very interesting statement for him to make. This is coming from someone that had both of those things in spades. Jim Carrey has no use for religion. He has no use for a personal God. But he admits that there is a deep thirst inside of every human that is not easily filled. And you know what? Jim's right. He's right. He got that right. Our soul's thirst. This is different than our bodies thirsting. The more that we read the Bible, the more that we understand that we are fundamentally souls. Now, soul is a difficult thing to define. Uh, it's basically the core of our life that makes us a whole person. It's what animates us. It's the deepest part of who we are that makes us human and a person. Our soul is not some fixed, solid piece of us, like a finger or some appendage. It's all of us living before God. And our soul, particularly when you read the Psalms, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the soul seems to be quite fragile. It's quite affected by its environment, much like a plant that needs the right amount of sunlight, the right amount of nourishment. Our soul is constantly, it seems, needing to be replenished and watered and taken care of. We are souls, and in a sin-damaged world, our souls thirst. And they thirst all the time. Psalm 63 is telling us that we need to seek God when our souls thirst. It's a real simple uh, message today. Seek God when our soul thirsts. And what I want to do is that we're going to look at two reasons why we seek God when our soul thirsts, and then two ways we should seek Him. So two reasons and two ways to seek God when our soul thirsts. The first reason is we seek God because only God is able to satisfy our soul's thirst. God alone is the only one able to satisfy our soul's thirst. Look at verse 1. David says, Oh God, you are my God. This is not calling out to the universe. This is a personal God. Only someone who knows God can say, God, you're my God. He's not just saying, oh God, you're God. That's a difference that matters. Oh God, you're my God. And earnestly, some translations say early in the morning, like we sang, right? Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You get a little picture in your mind of that kind of a land? Visualize that. This is where he's writing the psalm from. David is in the wilderness, guys. He's in the wilderness. Once again, he is far from God's presence. Now, the wilderness in the scripture is a very interesting place. This is a place where there is no life. There is no life in the wilderness. It's a place that's actually hostile to life. The, everything about the wilderness, wilderness says to humans, go away. I don't want you here. All right? Living things enter the wilderness and they don't exit. There's not adequate food. There's not adequate water. There's not adequate shelter. There's not adequate companionship because nothing else lives in the wilderness. There's nothing there to sustain life. Think Antarctica. Okay? Think the Sahara Desert. That's wilderness. Nothing's been built and cultivated there. Wilderness is a very barren and desolate place to find yourself. And David is in the wilderness, and his mouth, listen to this, his mouth and his body are getting dehydrated. Yet he says that is nothing compared to the dehydration that his soul is experiencing. Isn't that curious? That's very interesting to me. So what if he has water, but he has not his God? So what if he has food, but he has not his God? This is what he's saying. It will not satisfy him. So here we have the king, and he's not in the palace, which is where a king should be, by the way. He's in the wilderness, and he should be in the palace. He's in the wilderness, and what troubles him the most is not that he's not in the palace. What bothers him, what troubles him the most is not that he's in a barren place and he might die. That's not what bothers him the most. But that he's not in God's presence. I don't know about you, but if, if I was finding myself in a place like that, I was having a hideout in the wilderness where there wasn't any food or water, you know what I'd be thinking about? I'd be thinking about a sandwich and some ice water, okay? That's what I would be thinking about. But David says he earnestly seeks God. Not a sandwich, not a glass of water. He is seeking God. Why? Why? That should make you ask why when you read that. But it gives the answer in verse 3. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Only God's great love can satisfy what we are truly thirsty for. Everything else leaves us wanting more. Everything else leaves us wanting more. In fact, that is exactly what the world wants to satisfy us with. That's what they claim will satisfy our souls. More. This nebulous thing called more. Whatever that is. Society literally advertises more as the thing that will satisfy our thirsty souls. Some of you may remember this. Uh, years and years ago, GMC uh, had a motto for their line of luxury trucks. You guys happen to remember what that was? Kind of going way back a few years. Not more than you need, just 
more than you're used to. Not more than you need, just more than you're used to. Subtext, and you'll get used to it. This was a direct rebuttal against the frugal wisdom of my grandparents' generation, which said, if you don't need it, don't buy it. Save your money. That's what my grandmother would say. They'd say, that's more house than you need. That's more truck than you need. Don't get that. You don't need that much. And this is a direct rebuttal against that. It's your money. Go get what you want with it. The marketers of GM preached a message to the American public of more is better. There's your salvation. What? More. So they say buy, so buy bigger, spend more, and guess what? Get more satisfaction. You'll be happier. Ironically, this more is better philosophy was part of GM's undoing. By the end of 2010, over 20,000 people lost their jobs at GM. That was just that year alone. GM cut their Saturn, Hummer, Saab, and Pontiac brands, and they closed over 2,000 of their 6,000 dealerships in the U.S. alone. More stuff is not better. Brothers and sisters, seek God, because only He can satisfy your soul's thirst. I'm talking to you. Starbucks can't quench that. <laughs> You're going to need more. You're going to need more. Macy's can't quench it. You're going to need more. A better car won't quench it. Less commitment from people. More freedom from other people and responsibilities. Not going to quench it. You're going to need more. A fatter paycheck, a bigger raise won't quench it. A new lover won't quench it. You can pour all of that stuff into your soul and you will still need more. Wrap your brain around that. That's a lot of stuff I just listed off. And you're still going to need more. Watering our soul with created things is like putting chocolate syrup into the tank of your car. It's not made to run on that stuff. It's great to enjoy it, but it doesn't run our soul. Our soul has an infinite thirst and created things are by definition finite by definition they are limited only the steadfast unbreaking never-ending love of God has the purest ingredients and the highest octane to make our soul run right only God's love can make our soul sing and that's what a soul is made for it's made to sing the satisfaction of being known and being loved by God is better than life. This is what David is trying to remind us of here in Psalm 63 because we are forgetful people. We are people that are marketed to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we need to be reminded of this, who we are and what we really need. Guys, what do you need to put down this very week? What do you need to put down? What do you need to put away? What do you need to put off? Is that a person? Is that a thing? Is that an idea? What is it? What are you going to regularly to find soul satisfaction? What are you snacking on? 
so that you no longer even feel hungry for the feast of God himself. What are you sipping on so that you don't even feel thirsty anymore for the living God who gives living water? What is that for you? What is that for you? Let's be honest. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop playing games with ourselves. We need to stop tinkering around the edges to find satisfaction and then griping about the fact that we still feel dry. We need to quit doing that. If we want our soul to feel satisfied, then we need to get serious about seeking satisfaction. Seek the Lord. Seek God. God alone is able to satisfy our thirst. So let's seek him with all of our heart. Let's go for it. Second reason we seek God is because God has promised he will satisfy our soul's thirst. He will do that. Look at verse 5. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's my favorite kind of food. Food that makes me fat and feel rich. <laughs> That's good food. Costs a lot of money and makes you look kind of plump. That's a real good meal. He says, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. People think following God, loving God, worshiping God is like sucking on a sour lemon. No, that's not what it is. It's a joy. It's a joy to love God and follow God. It's great to know that God alone can satisfy our soul's thirst, but that only makes the satisfaction in searching for him a possibility. He can satisfy. Great. I'm glad he can't. Will he, though? That's the question we need to know if we're going to actually seek him, right? But will he if I seek him? That's an entirely different question. When our soul thirsts and we're in the wilderness, we need something more than the mere possibility of being satisfied by God to keep us seeking after him. All throughout Scripture, we are told to seek God, not because it's possible that we will find him, but that it is certain that we will find him. And this is good news for thirsty souls. In other words, seeking God for satisfaction, you're not seeking a mirage. You're not going to get close to him, that watering fountain, and go, it was just a figment of my imagination. Poof. That's what the world is. That's what needing more is. We've told that, totally got that backwards. You seek him, you will find him, and your soul will be satisfied. Look at this. It's all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 8. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently, what? Find me. That's promise talk. You will find me. Jeremiah 29. Let's go prophets. We did wisdom. Here's prophets. Jeremiah 29, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's go New Testament. Here's Jesus, Luke 11. And I tell you, ask, and it might be given to you. Wait, that's not what it says. Sorry. Let me read it. I messed that up. He says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to 
you. Yes, you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks it, uh, receives and the one who seeks find and the one who knocks, it will be open. And in that particular verse, the Greek language, is, it says those who continue. Those who continue to ask, who continue to knock, it will be open. It gives us great motivation to seek the Lord when we know that we will find what we are looking for in Him. David goes on to express how completely God will satisfy his soul. That's, so, that's the deepest part of us. This is not a superficial thing, guys. That's not just flowery language. He says this, I'll be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He is confident that God will satisfy so completely, so thoroughly, that he will feel full. Like after a huge meal of the best foods when you've been starving in the wilderness for a few months. And that's great. You're just, you know, you're totally satisfied. You don't want any more. You don't want more. <laughs> you've got all you can handle. The whole more thing is irrelevant to you. You look at all the food that's still on that table and you smell all the wonderful aromas and you don't feel like you're missing anything at all. Hey, you want another slice of pie? No, thanks. I'm full. I don't want another bite. You want some more meatloaf and mashed potatoes? No, thanks. I'm full. I don't have room for another bite. That's the kind of fool he's talking about. That's the kind of deep satisfaction, Crossway, that he's talking about. When we seek God, he will fill up our soul. How full will he fill our soul? All the way full. <laughs> David is saying that when we seek God, he will satisfy us in that way. It's not a possibility. It's not a high probability. It is a certainty. So, go seek him. Why seek something you're not quite sure you're going to find, right? But you're sure you will. So let's go seek him. That's a great motivator. But somebody's going to say, but how can I know that God will keep this promise? That sounds great. But I heard a lot of promises. I mean, GM told me a promise. Bought that. Didn't work. How can I know that God will keep this promise? How do I know that he has enough to quench my bottomless thirst? That's a huge promise of messianic proportion. How do I know that if I seek him, I really will find him? Like, I want to believe that, but how can I believe that? How do I know? We look at the one that's making the promise. That's how we know. We've got to look at the one that's making the promise. We are going to hear huge promises from the Democrats during their convention this week. And we have already heard huge promises from the Republicans in their convention last week. Promises that are so lofty and exaggerated that they reach messianic proportions. They are literally promising us that they will give us what our soul thirsts for. 
But as wonderful as all that sounds, we have got to ask ourselves the question, who is making these promises? Who is making these huge, wonderful promises? And the answer is mere mortals. Mere mortals. But when God makes a promise, he keeps it. He keeps it because he is not mortal. God is not man. He is not like us. He is high above us. Amen? The one that created the galaxy is the only one who can ever say always and never in a sentence. And it's not an exaggeration. He's the only one who can say those words. I will always be with you. I will never let you down. He's the only one who can say that. Because he is God. God is the only one who can truly say, I alone can satisfy you. And it doesn't sound like empty words. Because when God makes a promise to you and to me, he keeps it. He keeps it. And we know this because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the physical, historical, actual proof that God keeps all of his promises to satisfy our thirst. Jesus became the driest of souls. Listen to this. He became the driest of souls in the wilderness of the cross. So that those who believe in him could experience never-ending rivers of life and refreshment. Jesus makes this messianic proclamation in John 7, in front of a crowd. Jesus stood up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Now that's just egotistical, isn't it? If he's not God, if he's not God, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And drink. That sounds like Psalm 63, doesn't it? Whoever believes in me, so how do you come to Jesus? It sounds like you come to him by believing in him. Coming is believing. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Even though Jesus fully obeyed his father, though he always kept covenant with him, though his soul completely delighted in God alone and in nothing else, Jesus experienced deep soul thirst in the wilderness of the cross for our sake. For our sake. He experienced what we deserved so that we could experience what only he deserves, which is total satisfaction in God. That is love. That is a good God. John 19, he's on the cross. Jesus says this in John 19, 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. I thirst. When Jesus said, I thirst. I don't believe he was talking to the soldiers on the ground. I don't believe he was talking to the people that were mocking him. I don't think he was talking to humans at all. I think he was fulfilling the Psalms. 
Like we're saying, oh God, you are my God. And earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. He is talking to his father. He's saying, Father, I thirst. I thirst here. Where are you? He was calling to his father. He was in the wilderness, and it was drying up his soul at that moment. And he was asking for just a sip of his father's steadfast love, that love that is better than life. As his life's going out of him, he says, your love's better than life. Give me just a taste. Give me just a drop. I thirst. And he didn't get a drop. Not a, not a drop to tide him over. How do you know? How do I know that when we seek the Lord, our soul really will, really will be satisfied? This isn't a promotion deal. Because Jesus is the king that really went through the wilderness of death so that our souls could be watered. And there's no one like him. Praise his name. That's the gospel. Now, how do we go about seeking this awesome God? That's why. Now, how do we do that? We seek God by remembering and rejoicing. By remembering and rejoicing. Verse 5 and 6 says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Not reluctant lips, joyful lips. How? When I remember you upon my bed. He's in his bedroom. And meditate on you in the watches of night. David's saying, look, your love is better than food. Your love's better than water, which keeps me alive. Your, your love is better than life. And your, your love is better than sleep. You've got to have all those things for a fully functioning soul, right? He said, you're better than all of that. How is David going to seek the Lord? This is my question as I'm reading a psalm here. How is he actually going to seek and find the Lord? He's not in the city of God. He's in the wilderness, right? He's not near where God is. He can't go into the sanctuary where the sacrifices are made and sins are atoned for. He can't get joy there like that. He, he, he's not nearby. He can't open up the scrolls that would be there and read the scriptures and read the word of God or hear other people reading it, hear other people singing about it. How is this going to happen? This is kind of a problem here. And again, David is exercising this uh, just massive faith here. He's going he's gonna to seek the Lord and he is going to find the Lord even though he's not in his tabernacle because he's going to stay up all night meditating on the Lord. He's going to remember the Lord. He's going to meditate on God. He's going to take what he remembers about God and his salvation, and he's going to turn it over and over and over and over in his mind. This is the same David, guys, that said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion, and he delivered me from the paw of the bear, and he's going to deliver me from this Philistine. He's going back over and back over the stories of God's salvation. God saved me here. God saved me here. God saved me there. God's going to save me now. That's meditating. That's turning it over in his mind. And David remembers who God is and what he's done in his life into the watches of the night. His soul has been brought into the very presence of God. That's incredible. 
He knows God's not bound by a location, even while he's out in the wilderness. That is amazing. I have to ask, what have you been mentally rehearsing the last few days? What have you been going over in your mind night after night as you lay your head down on the pillow? What has that been for you? Were you rehearsing all the things that didn't go your way? Rehearsing how your neighbors maybe offended you, bothered you? You rehearsing the latest opinion of the news entertainers, uh, anchors? Sorry. You rehearsing what they're saying night after night? What are you rehearsing before your, pe- your pillow meets your cheek? What we need to do is we need to rehearse all the things that God has said to us. Sometimes I find myself going over conversations that I had earlier in the day, line by line, and analyzing it. What if I would have said this? I do this, I do this Sunday afternoon. I can't believe I said that. Why did I say that? What did somebody think about that? And I'm going line by line. Was this right? Was this not right? And it just, it, it's death, isn't it? It's death. What we need to do is what we need to rehearse line by line is all the things that God has said to us. We need to replay the stories of God being faithful, replay the stories of God being forgiving and being generous and being just and being loving and rehearse those. Because this is what we do when we come here Sunday. You know what we're doing? We're rehearsing. This is a rehearsal of the gospel every week. It says this in Philippians 4, 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Repost these things. Retweet these things. Forward these things. And quit wasting your time with all that other junk. Tonight, I want to encourage you guys. I want you to take out your Bible tonight before your head hits the pillow. Just read a short psalm. I'm, talking like, I'm not talking like a Bible study and all that. I'm, not, I'm talking like seven minutes. <laughs> I'm talking like seven minutes before you go to bed and just read a, a few verses of a psalm. Oh, a couple times, just read it over and over. Just meditate on that. And then, like, let your mind come to a word that just is attracted to it, or a phrase, or a metaphor, and just let your mind visualize that. And then close your eyes. Just try it. Secondly, we seek God by rejoicing. We seek Him by rejoicing. He says, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You guys starting to see the importance of singing for the health of our soul? You starting to see that through this series? It matters. It matters. We are souls, and souls are made to sing to God. That's what souls do. That's what people do. That's what all creation does. In another place in the Psalms, it says, God inhabits the praises of his people. As we sing together, As a church, God comes near. As we praise him together, God 
satisfies our soul. And I want to be clear about something here, all right? Praise is not denying our emotions. Hey, you guys got that? Look right at me. Praise is not denying your situation. It's not denying or ignoring your emotions, all right? David has been very honest with God in this psalm, as he is in all of them. And we need to be honest with the Lord. Praise is define, not denying your emotions. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Praise is define, not denying your situation or your emotions. You say, look, I, I admit it, I'm in agony. I am, my soul is thirsty, I'm dried out, okay. But I want to be in the presence of God, and I don't care how I feel. I want to be with him. Because he alone satisfies my soul. I want to be in the presence of God, and I don't care what's going on in my life right now. I'm going to praise the Lord. Because he's worthy of praise. And he alone will satisfy my deepest thirst. I'm going to come into his presence through singing. I'm going to come into his presence through rejoicing. And my feelings don't really matter for the next 15 minutes. Singing. Yes, 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 yes. Singing and music and worship are acts of defiance, not only expressions of emotion. They're both. You don't have to choose. Isn't that great? You don't have to pick. Praising is a way for us to be in God's presence even if we aren't in God's house right now. Our songs remind us of the stories of God, the gospel, that he is a God who saves us, and he is worthy of all of our praises. We seek him, we seek him, and we find him by remembering him. Not you. I come, you know what? I come to church to forget about me. I got me with me seven days a week. I get sick of me and my problems and my troubles. Don't you? This is the only place you can come and not hear about you. That's why I come to church. It's not because I'm a pastor. I come anyway. I come to hear about God. I come to hear about God. And these songs that we sing remind us of the stories. They're real stories. They're true stories. And that's what we need to sing together. Don't come in here and say, well, it's, that's how I feel. Sing and then see how you feel. <laughs> That's how you seek him, and that's how you find him. Amen? All right, we remember him, and we rejoice in our God. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, you are worthy of praise and honor and glory. Whether we feel like you are or we don't, it doesn't matter. You are. And God, I just pray that with the little time we have left, Lord, that you would set us loose, you'd cut us loose and set us free to raise our hands and open our mouths and lift our voice to the God who saves and sees and hears and has come down in Jesus Christ and experienced deep soul thirst so that we could know for sure, for real, for certain that we will be satisfied in you. When we seek you, we will find you. So help us do that with the time that we have left. 
God, I pray that you help us do that as we gather together in homes. We just take time to say, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to play a song real loud, and we're going to sing it together. So, Lord, the next song that we have, God, I pray that you would come, you would inhabit our praises. And we get a taste of you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.